You're listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Today's scripture is from Genesis 11, 27 through 12, 4. Now these are the descendants of Terah. Terah was the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran was the father of Lot. Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his birth, in Ur of the Chaldeans. Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah, Now Sarai was barren, she had no child. Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Hello again, everyone. So there's snow on the ground, which I am loving. Um, I've been told by a few folks so far this week that it doesn't always snow like this quite so early in the year. Um, So naturally, I've been taking credit for it. I was, I was out in Los Angeles for seven years, missing snow with no snow, so I think God has sent an early winter as sort of a, a, a blessing for me. Um, yeah, sorry, sorry about that. Of course, by March, we'll see if I still think it's a blessing or not, but we'll see. But the seasons are changing, um, and we're also coming up on a shift of our own uh, in our teaching focus here as we, as we approach Advent and Christmas. For most of the fall, we've been working through the opening chapters of Genesis, looking at um, famous Bible stories like Adam and Eve and Noah's Ark and the Tower of Babel. And we've only got two more weeks left, two more weeks before we hit Advent and shift our focus. In our passage for today, we get the story of Abram, or Abraham as he would later come to be called. And Abraham's story marks a real turning point in the book of Genesis, In fact, there are some scholars who argue that you could essentially split the book of Genesis in two. We've got sort of the the prehistory or the origin of civilization itself in Genesis 1 to 11. And then beginning in Genesis 12, we get the story of Abraham and his descendants. The origin of God's people, the Israelites. A lot changes at this point in the story. The tone shifts. The pacing slows way, way down. Genesis 1 through 11 covers centuries of time. By contrast, in Genesis 12 to 50, we only get through four generations. 
that's a dramatic change of pace. The story gets much more intimate, much more focused from this point forward. And while we could divide the first 11 chapters from everything that comes after it in Genesis, another way to approach these two chunks of the story is to hold them together. To see Abraham and his family as essentially a response to everything that came before. It's sort of a point-counterpoint situation. Genesis 1 through 11 presents us with a problem, and the rest of the book proposes a solution. Human beings keep screwing up. We keep making a mess of things. God extends grace after grace after grace, but human beings keep turning to violence and power and rebellion. At this point in the story, God has already wiped the slate clean once and started over with Noah. But as we saw last week with the Tower of Babel, things are starting to get worse again. All of humanity is united in rebellion again. It's that same cycle repeating itself. So with Abraham, God does something new. Abraham becomes the spark of hope that barges into the story of Genesis to turn things around. I'm going to put the call of Abraham from our reading this morning on the screens. This is from the opening verses of Genesis 12. This is what God says to Abraham that sort of propels the story forward. Before this, Abraham is comfortable. He's living with his father and his father's house and his land. And then this happens. Here's what God says. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. There's a lot to unpack there. There's a lot of stuff in this blessing that kind of echoes back some of what we've seen in the previous chapters. Uh, for one, God promises to make Abraham's name great and to make him a great nation, which is exactly what the people of Babel were after in last week's teaching. Only they were striving to become great through their own power in rebellion against God. So there's some irony here. God is going to give Abraham what the people of Babylon were trying to seize for themselves for free. Or essentially in exchange for obedience. Really ironic. There's also a lot of talk of blessing in this passage. The word bless or blessing occurs five times. Five times God tells Abraham he's going to bless him, make him a blessing, bless other people through him. And like five is not a very important number in the Bible. It's not a number like 7 and 12 and 40 that we see over and over and over again, but there is significance to Abraham being blessed five times. In Genesis 1 through 11, when God speaks to people, it's often after they've screwed up, and it's words of cursing more often than words of blessing. After Adam and Eve sin in the Garden of Eden, God curses the ground because of Adam, and God curses the serpent. Interestingly, God doesn't use the word curse toward Eve. There's definitely a part in Genesis 3 that we'd interpret as a curse, but God doesn't call Eve cursed the way he calls the serpent curse, which is fascinating. So in Genesis 3, God curses the serpent and Adam. 
In Genesis 4, God curses Cain after he kills his brother Abel. We're at 3. In the Noah story, God curses the ground and then promises never again to curse the ground after the flood. And then in the story of Noah and his sons, which we looked at a couple weeks ago, Noah curses the descendants of his son Ham. Five curses in Genesis 1 to 11, countered with five blessings in this story. God is undoing the curse of humanity through Abraham and his descendants. And there's another ironic piece to this story. Abram's name means exalted father. And the name Abraham means father of many, but Abraham and his wife can't have children. Nevertheless, God promises to make a nation out of Abraham and to use that nation to bless all the families of the earth. Abraham is blessed to be a blessing. The blessing isn't for his own good. It's not for the good of his descendants. It's for the good of everybody else. God's proposed solution to the problem of Genesis 1 to 11 is to create a people out of nothing and use them to bless the world. That's the blessing of Abraham. That's really the vision that unfolds through the rest of Genesis and really the rest of the Bible. And that's also the mission that Christians believe we are called to play a part in as well. Throughout the history of Israel, there were many times when the Israelites faced some sort of calamity. The destruction of the temple, uh, the people falling into sin, the Babylonians killing everybody, the Assyrians coming in and conquering everybody. There were always these disasters. But time after time, God would preserve a remnant. A small group of faithful Israelites called to carry on the mission of Abraham to be a blessing to the world. Christianity started as a small sect within Judaism. Those first Jewish Christians, our ancestors in the faith, kind of viewed themselves as a sort of remnant. They believed that through them, the God of Israel was reaching out to all the other nations. That's part of the reason we're all here. We find this theme throughout the New Testament. Uh, In Romans, Paul talks about Gentiles. That's non-Jews. That's us being grafted into the tree of Abraham. This idea that through Christ, the door is open for all people to become daughters and sons of Abraham and to inherit this call to be a blessing. Who here went to Sunday school as a kid? I'm kind of curious. Anybody go to Sunday school? Okay. So you might know this song, you might not. There's a song that I had to learn about Father Abraham when I was in Sunday school. Is this bringing back? I see people nodding. This is good. Hopefully it's not just me. I'm going to sing it because I have to. You can sing along if you know it so I don't look crazy. But I want something like this. Father Abraham had many sons. You know it. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Right arm. What was up with the right arm thing? Does anyone remember that part of the song? You... It was a weird song. If you don't know this, you're, you're, you're kind of lucky because you didn't have the weirdness. But you'd sing it through once, and you start doing this with your arm, then you do this, then you're like turning around. Did everyone get that version, or was my Sunday school teacher just like messing with me? And that was a thing. Okay, good. It wasn't just me. Thank God. Um, anyway, though, that song is getting at this idea that as Christians, we're all adopted into the family of Abraham. 
which means that we're called to carry on this mission to be a blessing. In a real sense, this story, the call of Abraham, gets at the question, what's the purpose of the church? Like, really, what are we all doing here? Why do we come here on Sunday mornings? Why do we sing songs? Why do you listen to me talk? Why do we associate with each other? What's the purpose of the church? There's a lot of good answers to that question. Worshiping God, that's a big one. Making disciples, spreading the good news of God's kingdom, that's all part of our mission, part of our purpose. But if you want to put it simply and in terms of the big picture, the purpose of the church is to be a blessing. We exist to be a beacon of God's love, grace, and mercy in our community. This is why the word Brockport is so darn big in our church's logo. I don't know if you've noticed that. (laughs) We don't exist for the sake of First Baptist Church. We exist for the sake of Brockport and the surrounding community. When a church becomes insular, when it turns inward, as happens at some churches, and starts to exist for the sake of its own members, it essentially ceases to be a church. It might be like a spiritual country club or a purveyor of like religious goods and services to its members, but that's not a church. When churches cave in on themselves and become obsessed with their own success or their own survival, that's when it's time to close up shop because that's not the church. Part of what brought me here to this church is the way you all prioritize being a blessing to this community. Later today, we're expecting about 100 people, maybe more, to come through those doors and receive a free meal. That's amazing. Like, the vast majority of those people aren't even going to be members of our church. They're just friends from the community. That's awesome. You all took multiple rooms in the basement of this church, prime real estate, and turned it into a clothing bank to meet the needs of teens and young adults in this community. That's awesome. The first time I came here and saw that, it blew me away. I was really impressed. And as we move forward as a church and continue to follow God's call to be a blessing, we're going to discover many more people, many more families, college students, communities, folks in this village and beyond that God is calling us to bless. We're going to make a huge impact on this village and do some amazing things. But there is a catch. There's always a catch, right? Like you always need to read the fine print. Abraham has to leave everything. He has to leave his family, his people, his country, everything he knows, everything he's comfortable with, He has to leave it all behind and venture into a new territory for God to use him as a blessing. And he's 75 years old. The really terrifying part of this for me, there's no destination. Like, I'm used to using a GPS to go places. I know exactly where I'm going and how to get there. But there's nothing like that for Abraham. There's no itinerary, no destination God's not like, okay, Abraham, here's where we're going, here's how we're going to get there, here's the timeline, none of that. God just says, go to the land I will send you. 
I've been pastor here for almost five months. It'll be five months on December 1st. We should have like a cake or something. We tend to do cakes here. We do cakes a lot. <clears throat> every month, every month anniversary, we should do a cake. But a, a good rule of thumb for pastors is to never change anything at your church in the first six months. Some people say in the first year you shouldn't change a thing. And so I've been pretty hesitant to like implement any major changes. But I've gotten like two conflicting bits of feedback from people here. Some of you have remarked on how much I've already changed things, which is kind of terrifying for me because, like, I didn't mean to change anything yet. Um, Of course, I wasn't here before, so what do I know? But then on the other side, there are some of you who've commented to me that the changes aren't happening fast enough. When are we going to shake things up? When are we going to change things? When are we going to shift things? You're excited at all the possibilities, and I share that excitement. A couple of you have even said both of those to me. that I've changed a lot, but the changes aren't happening fast enough, which is kind of confusing, but but like probably accurate. I don't know. But the reality is, if our church is going to move forward, if we're going to follow God's call to be a blessing, to welcome new people, to bless this community, change is inevitable. You don't tread new territory and forge new paths by doing what you've always done. Most of you know that already. And a lot of you have been really encouraging me to start forging those paths. But sometimes I wonder if you've considered the cost and what we might have to give up to go to where we're going. Abraham left everything. And that's really instructive. It's kind of like a warning for all who would tread this path. Because change is always experienced as loss. There's no way around that. For people undergoing change, there's always the pain that comes with letting go of one thing so you can take hold of something else. It could be surface-level stuff, like incorporating new worship styles or making a change to the bulletin, but it also gets much more serious. I'm talking shifts in leadership, changes in whose voice gets heard, changes in where we allocate resources, how we spend the church's money, what ministries we prioritize. That's some really tricky stuff. And as new faces show up here, as new families get connected, as people who've been here for for years get more deeply connected into the ministries of our church, it's going to bring changes that we can't even imagine at this point. I believe that the next two years are going to be pivotal for our church. The decisions we make and the changes we implement in the next 24 months will determine the shape of our church for a generation to come. We're at a Genesis 12 sort of moment. I'm really excited. I know you are too. But I'm also a little terrified. And I hope you are too. Moving out here from California was a pretty big change for me and my family. We had decent lives in Los Angeles, you know? It was expensive, but, but at the same time, we were too comfortable. Aaron and I hadn't really taken a risk or felt scared in a long time. But then you called us. A church full of retirees. <laughs> you guys know where I'm going with this. You called a 33-year-old college professor with tattoos and no senior pastor experience to come and lead you in a new direction. And that scared the crap out of me. (laughs) 
But that's how Aaron and I knew that we had to answer this call. And the future of this church is going to be shaped by whether or not we all decide to answer a similar call. For what it's worth, my guarantee to you is that I'm not going anywhere. We're in this together. I'm in this with you. Where you go, I'm going to go. And together, we are going to shape the future of this church. You all have already blessed me and my family so much, in huge ways. We really couldn't ask for a warmer reception or a better church to serve at than here at Brockport First Baptist. And I really hope to return that blessing to you. But one thing I'm sure of is that together we are going to make a huge impact on this little village of ours. We are going to bless people we don't even know in ways we can't even imagine. And that's because we've been blessed to be a blessing. There's not a doubt in my mind that God is going to do amazing things in and through this church in the days that lie ahead. And I couldn't be more excited to walk that journey with you. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for blessing us. Thank you for giving us the call to bless others. Thank you for the ways you terrify us and lead us into new territory and open up new possibilities. And thank you for always walking the path ahead of us. God, we pray for our church in the months and years ahead. We ask that you would guide us through the difficult process of change. We pray that you would strengthen us, give us wisdom, and hold us together. Help us to grieve the comfortable things we might have to give up, and lead us to the new, exciting realities you have in store. And most of all, Lord, we ask that you would use us to bless this community. It's in your name and to that end we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.